Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 97 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I am Jeff. I'm Jared. And I'm Liam. And on this episode, we're going to talk about how to tune the rear shock on your hardtail. Oh, gosh. Coil shock? Coil shock. Hopefully it's coil Rear shock coil on shock on your hardtail. Nice. Uh, we're actually going to talk about our Breckenridge trip slash the Breck Epic six-day mountain bike race. My new bike, which is a custom-painted Revel Ranger that I'm pretty excited about. And the upcoming trip, Liam, Liam and I. Liam, Liam and I. And I. That'd be a cool I. word, Liam and I. Liam and I have wow. to Andorra. We're going to Andorra to visit the Forstall Bikes headquarters. It's an e-bike brand that we're bringing on to the shop, which we're pretty excited about. Oh, yes. And then listener questions ranging from... Mountain bike myths, retro mountain bikes, how to adjust your bike when you're underbiked or overbiked, and the best pranks ever pulled in worldwide cyclery history. Wow. Well... DJ B's Nuts, play a sound effect, and you listeners out there, if the sound effect doesn't work good, that's because we've got the temporary DJ, his name is B's Nuts, we're missing Green Goblin today. Go! How was that for a sound effect? Wow. That was good. So... Breckenridge, boys. We spent two weeks in Breckenridge, Colorado, in the Rocky Mountains. It was awesome. We filmed a lot of content and took photos and rode a ton of bikes. And Liam and Zach and Dominic all raced the Breck Epic, which was six days, 240 miles. Well, it ended up being five days because of a crazy weather cancellation. 200 miles. 200 miles. Uh, Jared and I mostly just filmed the race. And slept. And slept. Yeah, yeah got we got up early sleep. some of those days. Well, it's kind of hard to sleep in in that condo when, you know, if someone pulled the chair out and was like, yeah. <laughs> people walking around, doof, 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 doof. <laughs> I guess I'm up. <laughs> the blender going off six yeah. times before yeah. 7 a.m. Oh, is that the blender? 6.30. 6.20 a.m. Blender. Blender. I had a feeling that was going to happen because there was, so Liam did it with a uh, buddy of his as a race partner. So did Dominic. Zach did it solo, which was quite impressive, especially given some of his uh, shenanigans, was, shenanigans. His his two nights a week, uh, going out partying in the middle of the race and still surviving and, and completing it solo. So, yeah. uh, hopefully, our YouTube video on this whole race documentary comes out well. It was it was a pretty cool race. I was really impressed. I thought it was. I mean, that area is gorgeous. I didn't do the race, but I filmed it, and it looked like some days you guys had a great time, and some days you didn't. What do you say, Willie? I think that's spot on. Um, <laughs> I'd say – so we only did five stages technically over six days because uh, stage three or day three got canceled due to thunderstorms and lightning storms up high. Um, so we did five days. I'd say three of those five days were absolutely incredible riding. One of the days was pretty darn incredible and one of them uh, was a really hard route to race. Um Definitely left me salty and sour. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting race because it it was sort of a cross-country race, but it's, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people there were on cross-country bikes, some trail bikes, and there was a good showing of spandex, but also a lot of people in baggies. I don't know. It was like roughly 20 to 35 miles a day, and every day there was at least 5,000 feet of climbing, if not more. Yeah. Yeah, roughly. Some of the days were like 40, 42 miles with 6,000 feet, so. Yeah. Um, huge mountain bike race yeah. days every day in a row for, well, what should have been six days, but that ended up being what it was two days and then a day off and then 
three days. Three days. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it was, it was probably the hardest week I've done on a bike, especially, you know, quote unquote, trying to race, um, those days. Um, yeah. Base elevation of the town is 9,000 feet. 9,400 feet. Yeah. So everyone was dealing with elevation stuff at the same time, which is a lot harder to ride a bike at. Yeah. That actually was the hardest part for me was the elevation. Like, yeah, a lot of sea um, level people had that issue. Yeah, like me and my so we, I did the men's duo open category. So I had a a duo partner, uh, Mike Easter, who is a longtime roadie friend of mine. Um, neither of us were both pretty fit, I'd say, um, fitter than you know than maybe your average, uh, especially Mike. We couldn't even really get our legs to get like taxed during the stages because our lungs would go first. Like yeah. we, our lungs, and then because our lungs, we couldn't breathe, uh, our heart rates would spike. And that was pretty much like put us in the, in the rev limiter and threshold. And we couldn't really like use our legs to what I know that it, they could do, um, until the very last day of the race. And that was the day me and Mike really were able to like catch our feet and kind of put in some real hard efforts. So. Yeah, it looked like a cool race. I mean, we definitely had fun filming it. We would look at the routes each night and then figure out where we as the film crew could kind of get to and try and get some footage and then be at the start sometimes and finish sometimes. And I don't know, I kind of want to put together a fun little YouTube video documentary on the thing, which is different than our normal YouTube videos. I think it'll be a challenge to edit this thing. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Jerry? Do you think we got enough good footage? Oh, I think we got plenty of good footage. The interviews are going to be great. We got a lot of good words from all the riders and mostly Zach, um, right? Mostly Zach. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that it's going to be, you know, yes, it'll be a departure from what we typically put on YouTube, but I think it'll be also one of the best pieces of content that we put out and unique and, um, and yeah, it'll be entertaining. I think no matter what. Yep, definitely. And man, Breckenridge, I, I fell in love with Breckenridge. There well, was yeah, so yeah. much fun riding there. Mm-hmm. The downtown is awesome. It's just the right size. It's not big and it's not, you know, small. Um, the, there's all these amazing trails so well built. That's what I was probably the most impressed with is how mm-hmm. well built those trails yeah. were. And just, well, just the like local signs everywhere. Yeah. Every, well the signage marked. was great. Everything was well marked. There was jumps, there was berms there. I mean, there wasn't, I guess there wasn't really a lot of rocky tech there by any means. It was mostly kind of more rudy. You had, you had to get out get a little bit stuff. on the Colorado Trail. I rode plenty of rocky, rudy tech stuff. Yeah, so it was a little just, further out of town. Yeah, instead of ten miles out of town, you had to go twenty miles out of mm-hmm. town. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Breckenridge itself is so far the best Colorado town I've been to, as far as location of the the city itself, and the, from that the location of the trails. Yeah, we didn't have to drive a car if we didn't want to yeah, yeah that's what i was gonna yep. say is we were walking from you know walking all over town mm-hmm. riding bikes from where we're staying in town to the trails yeah and not just like the trails but like a myriad of trails you know like fun flowy yeah you know, jump line or you want a little technical or like you want to do a big day like or just take the bike path for you know to keystone like yeah and gravel bikes yeah or commuter road bikes i don't know or yeah i mean just a casual bike path too i would highly recommend it that was probably the coolest mountain town i've been yeah. to for sure in a long I'd, time that i'd love to I go back one would have fun yeah yeah i agree i'd love to go back for a week with just the boys and go have fun not necessarily trying to race plan a couple big days and plan a couple days where it's just like all right let's go explore yeah maybe we hit the town and you know wake up at noon 
yeah, yeah. or go rafting or yeah that's, yeah there's a lot of stuff to do there so yeah. couldn't cannot recommend breckenridge colorado enough for a good fun mountain bike destination to mm. take a little vacation to if you're looking for something like that Agreed. and it's probably a great ski place in the winter oh, but yeah i don't know it is really ski so yeah um, but it looks nice Speaking of Breck, mm. that was the first time I got to ride my new bike, which I built another Revel Ranger. It's not a ton of another new bikes. One. Another it's not, one. It's not a ton of new bikes these days that are exciting me. Well, there hasn't really been many new bikes from anyone because of the whole pandemic shenanigans for the last couple of years and supply chain and whatnot. Um, and I don't know. I also have said this a million times before on this podcast, but I feel like bikes are kind of a little bit hitting an innovation plateau and they're pretty damn near perfect uh that revel rangers is so good it's such a fun bike it's a 115 in the back right and then 120 in the front 29er i love that thing and i had one as kind of my primary bike for quite a long time and just built up another one uh thanks willie for all your help there since you did mostly all the work and (laughs) (laughs) um it came out so good it uh we had it custom painted by this guy technar and it looks so cool it's got this whole two-faced paint job um we'll have a youtube video about it and uh it'll sneak on the instagram soon enough here right jared that's right yeah pretty soon yeah Yeah, man 11 speed oh yeah actual 11 speed, not one with the whole the yeah. cog cut off. People looking at my drivetrain like, whoa, yeah. what drivetrain is that? What, it's like, that just just an custom. old one. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, I'm going to ask you one question because mm. I know you're going to do a whole YouTube video on it. But for the podcast, from your previous Ranger to your new Ranger, Ooh. was your favorite part change that you made on the bike? Because mm. you only changed a couple parts, but all of them are like pretty decent parts that you changed. I think the... The wheels were the biggest change. The wheels. So my old Ranger, I had Industry 9 uh, Trail 270s, yes. right? But I had or, the 24-spoke versions yeah. with aluminum rims, aluminum Industry 9, uh, 27-mil internal rims. And on this new one, I have those new Bird Hawk 27 rims with the Bird spokes and Industry 9 hubs. And that made a huge difference in the way that that bike felt. I mean, I shaved off almost a pound, right, by doing that? Roughly, yeah. Yeah, those spokes and those rims are so light, and it just made that bike feel so fast. Uh, I really liked that. Um, I really am kind of just totally digging on those bird wheels right now. I rode those on that Rascal as well when we went to Sun Valley, and I just love them. I think they they ride super good. They just make the bike feel really good, this kind of perfect balance of damping in terms of the way that the wheels vibrate and good not too much flex not too little flex it's just they're just dialed i really like those things you have them on your bike now too right i do yeah i have the bird spokes laced to the revel rw27 rims Mm -hmm. but uh, i totally agree with you i mean i think it dropped like i want to say 250 grams off the wheel set just swapping out the spokes alone yeah those spokes are light uh, i mean just the difference i mean it's a wheel spin up so quick like acceleration wise you know yeah that rotational weight when you have yeah. spokes that are that light it's kind of hard to explain but once you get on the bike and you kind of go from stop to 10 miles an hour that just like yeah. spin up is just feels so much more effortless with wheels that light 100% i yeah. mean uh, it just i'm on my mondraker rays and it just yeah the bike just pedals so well with those wheels i mean it just it's a game changer you know versus just like a regular wheel set you can just you can just tell how much better it faster it accelerates and just mm-hmm. climbs easier and and you're right the vibration damping is actually pretty remarkable as well yeah yeah so you can start riding those i have them on my monica rays as well oh, you do i have bird spokes laced to revel rw30 rims um so 
a 29 internal where Jared has a 27 internal ones. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love them on that bike. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been all the reasons above. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since I've tried something new and I was like, Oh, I really like this. This is better than what I had before. Uh, but those bird bird spokes, they, they definitely did it. So yeah, I was pretty pumped on that. Speaking of that, we just did a really funny Instagram giveaway, uh, that we partnered with bird on and they actually gave one lucky winner a free set of what? $2,200 wheels. Yeah. Um, for what was the contest? It was dress up like a bird, dress up like a bird bird things or something and ride in a bird costume. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, this guy rode the bike park at Snow Summit in a bird costume, and it was very impressive. Yeah, people put some effort into that contest. Yeah. Rightfully so. It was a big prize. Definitely. Yeah. It was tough to choose the winner, but um, I think that he deserved it, and he is a, uh, an avid cross-country racer, so he will put them to good use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Yeah. I just remember looking, watching those videos when you saw him rolling in, and I was yeah. like, these are some pretty funny videos. People <laughs> actually dressed up like a bird here. Very entertaining. Um, it was entertaining. <laughs> Uh, speaking of entertaining things, oh. Andorra. So oh. Liam and I are getting on a plane this week to go flying into Barcelona, which is just south of Andorra. Andorra is a small landlocked country in between Spain and France, which happens to be the headquarters of Forstall and also home of a big ski resort where they have mountain bike world cups basically every year, right? Yeah, they had one this year. year. Um, Forstall, man, I'm really curious to go there because Forrestal, I don't even know enough about. I feel like yeah. they're new on the scene, but they've been, you know, clearly who's ever funding Forrestal has got deep pockets and they're making this incredible stuff, uh, a motor from scratch and just a premium e-bike, mountain bike brand um, from scratch. But they've been working on the project for how long? Uh, I don't years? even know. Years yeah, it's been years, and now they're we've, coming to fruition, and it's yeah, crazy. we've been working on this project for like sixteen months now. Yeah, um, from when we first started having conversations about carrying them. So, yeah, it's been a long time coming for both sides. Yeah, and I mean, what they're basically their mo is they're really trying to make you know the leading e mountain bike in terms on the premium side of things. So when you're talking that sort of ten thousand dollar plus e bike, uh, that's where they want to dominate and make the best stuff, most reliable stuff, and just really good high quality bikes. And we've got a, we've had a couple demos here for what six months uh, since Sea Otter. Yeah, yeah, we had them. Yeah. Yeah, and they've been so much fun to ride. Every one of us that's ridden it has been blown away. It's part of why we're like, yeah, this brand is going somewhere, and they know what they're doing. Yeah. So we definitely want to be a dealer for them. So it's going to be cool to go to their headquarters. And it's it's always cool to go to Bike Brands headquarters, and you can really get an idea of the legitimacy of the brand and who's doing it, what's going on there, how well organized or not it is. And you can kind of just see what's happening. So I'm I'm pumped to do that and check that out and we finally got a whole bunch of those bikes here uh you know in stock so if you're curious hit our website we've got a bunch of information on that we're going to continue to make sort of videos about the brand and um yeah just show people what they're doing on the insides of it because it is cool i mean i think that they kind of have their sights set on some really really high targets with what they want to do and accomplish with those bikes and so far it seems like they're pulling it off quite well so i don't know what are you you excited liam i'm super excited i mean I was excited just when I got the bike and started riding it. Jared and I both got these. We took him to Sea Otter. We rode uh, Santa Cruz campus trails on them, and like right away, we were like, "These things are insane." They um, kind of blend the the difference between 
it's kind of like the best of everything. You have your enduro bike, you have your lightweight e-bike, which is like the Kinevo SL from Specialized, and then you have a full-size e-bike. You kind of get like the best of everything. Like I feel like the Forestall rides really good downhill. Um, you get the weight in the right place, uh, but you can also throw it around like a normal bike. And then going uphill, you have the torque of almost a full-powered e-bike that weighs 50 pounds, even though these weigh 41 pounds. Um, so right away, I was like blown away. Um, it's really hard to ride a normal bike when that thing is so fun to ride. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm stoked to go to Andorra. I'm stoked to see the headquarters from all the photos I've seen. The headquarters looks like a, like they should be designing F1 cars. Yeah. Well, and they're actually making the bikes there. Yeah. Doing laying up the frames and everything. So it's a pretty unique operation. Yeah, definitely. Anyone's making bikes in Andorra. So yeah, that's pretty rad. The paint boost and the paint, uh, the paint jobs look amazing in person, but yeah, I want to see the paint boost and all that stuff yeah, too. And the operation over cool. there just looks completely high end and really incredible. So yeah, they have actually a really good Instagram, by the way, mm-hmm. if you want to check that out, it's just four yeah. bikes or something. I believe so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their Instagram is good. They do a good job at kind of showing the inside of the facility there and what they're working on and their paint room and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's pretty rad. It's just it's just shocking what they're doing and what they're pulling off. And yeah, it's another one of those sort of new brands that's coming up and everyone's kind of turning their heads going, oh, whoa, this is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm like, excited. That, that's an e-bike? Like, it, you can barely tell, honestly. Yeah, I mean, true, yeah, because the of that kind of lightweight e-bike for sure. Yeah. But then they just pack a lot of torque, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I loved those things. That Riding that and riding a number of other e-bikes made me realize, like, oh, I kind of really just like that 39 to 41-pound e-bike, and I don't really want to go much more. Although, you made a good argument about the Mondraker that you rode, because yeah. you can just do these, what, 30-mile rides Huge on it. Huge rides. And, yeah, do these big epic rides. and Yeah. So, I get it. I mean, Plus I think e-bikes, in terms of size of battery and motor, that's yeah. going to be just like size of suspension and yeah, you know totally. travel of suspension. And everyone's going to be like, well, I have this e-bike for this yeah. and this one for that. And What's yeah. your flavor? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're going to have yeah. them all. And, you know, plus in the years to come, I mean, with battery technology improving constantly, um, we could very well see full-powered e-bike weigh 10 pounds less, you know, yeah. in the coming that's years. True. So yeah. we'll see. Yep, that is true. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Well, should we dive into these listener questions? Hmm, I think so. Uh, this first question is way too wordy. Something about you're given a magic rock, magicians are tight on times are tough for magicians. This, this is a very long, confusing question. I don't know who wrote this. You want me to read it? Uh, no, 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 that's too many words. <laughs> but the, the question is essentially if you, could, if you could wish away a myth in the mountain bike world, what would it be? Uh... I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a tough question. I don't know if there's too many things I could say myths or maybe just uh, misperceptions. I I would think something something that kind of is a pet peeve of mine is when people uh, will rag on a brand with one data point. And yeah. what I mean is if they have one buddy who broke a you name the brand, then they think that that brand sucks forever, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, or, you know, they, they, they got a RockShock Reverb post uh, during the, you know, version one of it, and it had multiple warranty issues, and so now they just wrote off RockShock Reverb posts for the rest of the life, even though they've totally changed since then. So I think that's kind of my pet peeve is that you have to understand with all of the stuff in the mountain bike industry, there's always iterations, there's always improvement in this stuff, and there's always a defect rate, a warranty rate, and that warranty percentage rate 
uh, it's a real thing and it won't go away. And just because some brand makes something that has a 1% warranty rate, just because you happen to see 1% of something doesn't mean that the rest of that those products suck or that brand sucks. Um, that's just something that peeves me. I don't know. What do you got, Jared? I would totally agree. I mean, you know, kind of like based on that, kind of like what we were talking about earlier when we were going over these questions, you know, you're saying like how basically when like yeah, the Switch Infinity came out, everybody was like, well, that, that slides on a stanchion, like that's going to go horribly wrong. Yeah, and pe- like, people see things that they yeah. they look confusing and they just go, oh, it's terrible, yeah. it's terrible. It's One like, guy, oh, okay, have you tested it? Do you know anyone who's testing it? Do you understand the, like clearly understand the intricacies of the testing that the brand did before they produced it and decided to sell it? Yeah. Because if you didn't do any of those things, then you shouldn't be making <laughs> judgments right now. Yeah, it's not like Eddie was just like, hey, this looks pretty cool, let's try this out. It's like, no, I think they probably figured it out before, like, you know, had many iterations. And, uh, you know, obviously it works really well because I've never seen... A Switch Infinity. Oh yeah, no, it's aside from someone that's been completely, completely neglected. Yeah, and like obviously, obviously that's going to go wrong because you're not supposed to neglect, you know, maintenance on your mountain bike. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I mean, I've, yeah, I've never seen one that's been like someone was like, yeah, I've been taking care of it and it's just got destroyed. Like that just doesn't happen. Yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. No, I mean, like anything, there's going to be a percentage of things that go wrong. Yeah, but that. You could just name name any suspension part on any other full suspension mountain bike on any brand, and there's yeah. going to be a percentage of those that were just have a manufacturing defect issue. Yeah, but that's pretty much what I got. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I've had five Yetis with Switch Infinities, and they've all been fine. Yeah. So. I've had five Yetis? I think so. Are you a dentist? <laughs> <laughs> Son of a dentist. <sighs> no, oh, but, yeah, I mean, I also, you know, guilty of – servicing them and greasing them and making sure the bolts are tight. Oh, yeah. Took care of your bike. Sue me. (laughs) (laughs) Took care of your bike well and it worked well. Yeah, made sure it was clean and greased and uh, bolts are tight. Like, that's all you have to do with pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, those those people out there who never service their dropper post and then it doesn't work well and they think it's a piece of junk and it's like, well, did you ever service it? I've had it for a year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You should have serviced it twice by now. It's not a once every five years thing so here's this so. thing it's called grease <laughs> yeah yeah you got any myths liam or i'm gonna start a myth a magic rock. oh you're gonna start Jeez. one yeah uh about the horses yeah no that that's a business opportunity to keep okay. that down <laughs> um if uh your tire logos aren't lined up with your valve that they won't actually seal right Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yeah who's ever listening please tell your friends that with a straight face <laughs> and then after you tell them that tell them that it only doesn't apply to hardtails that have rear shocks <laughs> specifically hardtails with coil yeah. shocks hardtails with coil shocks uh, you know this is if someone's listening to this episode and they're kind of half listening and also watching a TV show or have it as on the background and they just like chime in and hear your tire logos don't line up with your valve stems your tires look, what what like they're gonna <laughs> or of, like hardtail with coil shock yeah, hardtail yeah. With <laughs> a lot of weird context in this episode yeah. that you're gonna have to you're gonna be on your toes for this one yeah I feel like I don't know we should I feel like we should tell the story behind the the coil shock on a hardtail oh yeah just go ahead tell it tell well, it Jared all right so we're uh, on our way out to Colorado. Um, in Liam's van is me, Liam and Zach. And, um, you know, we've been driving for, I don't know, at least maybe a day and a half at this point. And 
we pass a car with a bike on the roof rack and it was a I want to say it was probably like a was it K two or it was something? K two. It was like a mid two thousands K two. Yep. From Sport Chalet. Full suspension, I might add. Um, you know, and it was a aluminum bike and, and Zach just kind of mutters coil shock on a hardtail. <laughs> <laughs> and Liam and I kind of sat there for about a minute to we couldn't process what he had just said. So um we thought and then I just go, what? <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> what? hard tail? And then I think that uh, <laughs> that broke Jared for like five minutes. I was crying. I, Zach, I mean, you you know better. Just one of those yeah. road trip things, man. Yep. Yeah. You know? So uh, there you have it. That's why we're, uh, we're exclaiming coil shock and a hard That's tail. true. Speaking of coil shocks or all rear shocks, oh. this next question is actually pretty important. Yeah. Uh, does low speed compression settings affect sag when setting up your suspension? Hmm. Uh, the answer is, yeah, you should have your compression high and or low, depending on your shock, all the way open slash off when you're doing your sag. So turned counterclockwise. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. On most shocks, counterclockwise. Minus. Minus. Yeah. Sign. Less. Open. Open. Or open. Open. Yeah. Unscrewed. So if we we didn't confuse you with the previous topics, here's the unscrewed, open, (laughs) backed off, minus sign, low speed compression. Yeah. Your compression settings should be completely off and or open, however you want to say it, uh, when you're setting your sag. Uh, That goes for your fork and your rear shock. There you go. Um, That's a pretty easy one, actually. Yeah, not it, too much to unpack there. Not too much to unpack. But you as know what? There is suspensions not packing. But, oh, yeah. Now we're talking rebound. Oh. But yeah, speaking of unpacking, how to tune your bike for your area that you may be over or underbiked for? This guy is overbiked. Whew! Wow. Well, first off, I would say, what kind of tires you're running, right? Because I mean, you could get a faster rolling tire and it'll probably yep. help you out if you're overbiked for your area or if you're underbiked you could get a more aggressive tire setup you know mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i would start there do you have any insight well i think you can adjust your suspension too yeah right so say you've got a you know six inch travel enduro bike and you're riding kind of more xc-ish trails uh you could definitely put on tires that might not be as, hard, as heavy and as durable of casing, so you can shape some weight there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little faster rolling resistance tire you can toss out on there too if you want. Mm-hmm. And then you can stiffen up your suspension. So you mean, if you got six inches of travel and you're riding kind of smooth, flowy XC trails, you don't really need that much. So, yeah. um, you know, go down in your sag, up the pressures, and uh, just keep the bike a little bit stiffer and faster, and that'll definitely help your overbike a situation. A little bit of low-speed compression if you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's like the on-the-fly type of thing. Yeah. If you end up underbiked and, or sorry, overbiked and don't have a shock bump or anything, um, yeah, play around with the bump your compression up, stiffen up your suspension, get some different tires. Uh, you could also, you know, lower the your stack on your underneath your space your spacers Ooh, underneath yep. your stem. Make it climb a little better. So yeah, if you got if you're climbing a lot, you feel like you're climbing a ton, and you're on a big long travel bike that isn't meant to be climbing that much, then you can lower that front end a bit. That'll help. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think suspension setup and tires 
are probably the most important things there, either direction, right? If you're underbiked yeah. or overbiked, yeah. um, then you just want to overtire or over stiffen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're underbiked, uh, I'd highly suggest looking at volume spacers. So you mm. better use your small amount of travel for mm-hmm. the gnarly trails you're riding. Good volume call. spacers, which can make your fork or shock more progressive. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Meaning you can run them softer off the top while still allowing them to not bottom out that easily. Mm. Just for further explanation. Thanks, well, Jeff. Well yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, suspension setup and tires, I think, are the are yeah. your, your biggest wins there. It's a good call. Um, without changing so many parts, and then you just have a different bike. Also, just a great way to experiment with your bike and, you know, tune it to your preferences, I guess, as well. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. Speaking of preferences, I think this one kind of is, uh, you know... It's kind of your question, Jeff. Would you ever consider moving into a new market? Yeah. Well, I'm not exactly sure what people mean by a new market. What do you think they mean? <laughs> well, we, I think they mean like, like would shop you ever, at Vons rather than Trader Joe's? Or? Would you I, ever open a store in Canada? I think that's what they mean. Oh, I thought they meant when uh, – I thought that was more of a different industry. Like, would you move? Yeah, I, th- I oh, thought really? they uh, meant when we shut down and went into worldwide cutlery and kazoos. Uh, mm, yep, we did Because we that. did leave the bike industry on April 1st, 2018. 2019. 2019? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I assumed this was regarding, uh, you know, geographical market and World, uh, worldwide cyclery. We're called worldwide cyclery. Worldwide. Yes. Um, we are. Okay. We'll answer it that way. With that said. Uh, I think, yeah, people ask us that a lot. Hey, you should open up a shop here. We have yeah. we have three stores, one in Southern California, which is where all of us are from, um, at least us as in, on this podcast. And then we have a store in uh, Reno, Nevada, just north of Reno. And then we've got one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on the East Coast. And as many of you listening probably know, we're predominantly an e-commerce business, which means we sell bicycles and bicycle parts and accessories on the interweb. So we ship the stuff. Um, And the majority of that shipping takes place out of our Reno and uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania stores. So we're not really the traditional sort of local bike shop, albeit our three stores are retail stores that you can come in and ride bikes and demo bikes and buy things or click and collect. Oh. A little trendy term people like Ooh. to say. You can click and buy and wow. then pick up in store if you I want like to want to do that. You ever heard that term? Never heard that. It's one of those technology e commerce nerd terms. I'm gonna click and collect click and you. collect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think it would be I mean I think that it would be fun to open shops elsewhere, and uh, you know, I think that sustaining the tradition. Part of the reason worldwide cyclery is how it is is because I think the traditional bike shop, in the sense of just a local business, uh, it's just really hard to sustain and make profitable and keep profitable and run in a healthy manner. Uh, which is part of the reason why I thought worldwide cyclery would be a better idea to be sort of a multi-channel e-commerce business as opposed to a traditional local bike shop. So because of that, because we have three stores that are specifically placed to basically, you know, if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, uh, we can get you your order really quick because it'll come, you know, routed proximately. Proximity? Proximately? It's called proximity routing. I don't know if there's a way to say proximately. 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 <laughs> Sounds cool. Um, the, your order will go out of the store nearest to you so you can get it faster in terms of shipping speed, which everyone cares about. So I don't know. As fun as it would be to open shops in other places, it's not really logistically necessary. Uh, so I don't know. I don't really know if we ever will open more than three stores. 
But would we ever go somewhere such as Europe or Canada or Brazil? Mm. That'd be cool. Well, if we, I've already said, if we're going to Canada, um, we're gone. I, we're, at, we're grooving up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least for the summer. I don't want to be in Canada in the winter. I'm volunteering to run that operation. Yeah. We'll be there. See you. See you never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See you when it snows. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely people who open businesses in random locations just because it's a cool spot and they're like, I just want to be here. Like Breckenridge. Yeah, we just make up an excuse. Like, we have to be in Breckenridge. We're going to have a summer store there. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like you have your – people have vacation homes. We'll have uh, vacation stores. Like Vacation location. Vacation location. We'll have a pop-up in Breckenridge uh, every June 1st to September 15th. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly not – that's not a bad idea. It would probably work. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I'd, we could change it every year too. We yeah. could, yeah, we could change it every year. That we could call it the summer pop up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There, there's a, a lot of these questions fly across my desk these days, and uh, I don't know. We we have a lot on our plate with what we're doing with Kettle, uh, the apparel brand that we own, as well as Trail One, which is the mountain bike component brand that we're invested in, and all the other existing things that Worldwide's invested in working on. Uh, I think a lot of it boils back down to uh, we're in this business to have fun and enjoy ourselves, and we want to do things such as take two weeks off in Breckenridge and make it a workcation and ride bikes and have fun and make sure people enjoy themselves. And I frankly am just in uh, business to have fun and to have a business that is enjoyable to run and people like to be at and that's kind of the idea here i'm not really interested in being like oh we need to have 50 locations by 2025 and hit these (laughs) revenue targets like i'm just not i don't know i'm over that stage of my life i'm kind of just rather enjoying myself so if any if either you guys want to go open up locations all over the world let me know (laughs) cheers to that (laughs) i'm uh, I'm gonna sign up for the pop-up location. Yeah, yeah I think the summer I'll pop-up location up. might be summer might be the deal. Yeah. yeah, we don't have anything to sell, but come and hang out and ride bikes with us. We might. <laughs> yeah, we, please see our website, Caterina. We, we, we sell you an experience. <laughs> yeah, and you buy parts from us after. Yeah. Speaking of, that's a great idea. Speaking of business, mm. uh, we need to thank our sponsors for of the MTB podcast. Oh yes, of course. Which uh, may or may not be real sponsors. Here you go. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ricky from Ricky's Tackle Box Supplies and Marriage Counseling. We've sponsored the MTB podcast because we heard that there's plenty of people out there that are mountain bikers that need to fill up their tackle box with good supplies that also have marriage issues. We sustain those marriage issues in the back right corner of our store and offer marriage counseling for your convenience when you're there also buying your tackle box supplies. We're down on here in three states in South Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Come on, see us. Ricky's Tackle Box Supplies and Marriage Counseling. Thank you. And now, back to the show. Dude, Jeff, we're working. While you're messing okay, with go. your phone, okay, go. let me ask you your worst mountain bike poop-related story. Uh, I don't know if I have that bad of one. Uh, I've never pooed my pants or anything. I did have to, uh, actually, when we were riding with BKXC, we rode Suicide Trail that one day. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a whole cold brew from Starbucks. I was a little aggressive. And wasn't able to wasn't able to wasn't able to have my meeting with the plumbers union prior to the ride for whatever reason. So I figured it was going to happen after. Get back to the car, 
you park at the trailhead or sort of that like back trailhead in this really really nice homes uh, suburban neighborhood in Oak Park and in this cul-de-sac and I had, I had no choice got back to the truck and um, I pretty much went underneath some fence and found some gutter and just took a poo while I was looking at two million dollar homes you made it your own I made it my own so wow. I don't know. It was a neighborhood poo. That's not. That's not too bad. Wasn't that bad? No. Um, I'm sure Jared has some pretty got, good ones. It's funny because I didn't. I don't remember this one until now. Like until you started talking about yours. But um, I was thinking, you know, I don't really have that one bad one. But then I remembered this one. Um, I was out for a pretty solid ride in Sycamore, Sycamore Canyon, and um, on my way back, I was a few hours deep and. My gut was just disturbed, to mm-hmm, say the least. Mm-hmm. Pretty common for Jared. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was a this was a unique, particularly disturbed. This was yeah a situation where I was particularly disturbed, and um, so I got to the. I was getting near that. I was like, "Where is the climb out?" You know, you got to go up the blacktop hill, and I was like, "Where? Okay, when am I going to get there?" Like, wow, I this is getting it was getting worse by the minute, and so. Um, Thankfully, I made it to the bottom. You know, there's the porta potty right there at the bottom of the blacktop hill, which I uh, proceeded to absolutely destroy. But there was no toilet paper, um, and it was a messy mm-hmm. incident, to say the least. Mm-hmm. So I had to sacrifice a glove. Glove? Um, I, well, okay, so here's I the deal. Socks are less expensive. The yeah. glove already had holes in it. Mm. So I was like, you know what? It was already on my hand. <laughs> I just got to actually remember if I used it in that manner but um yeah i'm pretty it was a nice glove i think it was a pot glove or something like that but it had holes in it and um now it's a poop glove yeah that that's probably my worst one aside from that i went for a ride and i i didn't you know visit the plumbers union is that what you said you didn't yeah. take the kids to the super bowl yeah i didn't take the kids to the super bowl beforehand and then like i was sprinting afterwards but it wasn't as bad that one coming out of sycamore was bad because i was like i don't know if i'm gonna make it mm-hmm you know, but got anything, got anything, Willie? If you don't, it's fine. Well, Not I, really, I man. The listeners have heard enough. Yeah, the only, the only, <laughs> the only stuff that comes to mind is like those really early morning races back in the day, where you're fully kitted, you're about to head the line, and then you're like, oh no, I gotta hit it, and then you gotta go to race porta potty, which is always a line for. Oh god. Everyone has pre-race day nerves, so they're blown up, and then you have to get naked because you're wearing a stupid bib, and you have yeah. to get naked in a porta potty. Yeah. That's that's ridiculous. Um, yeah, never. A lot again. of those. Never it's, fun. It's, it's not fun. It's not like a tragic poop story. Yeah, it's not. You know, yeah, not tragic. It's not so. terrible. But I mean, who wants to? Yeah, like get fully buck in uh, in a porta potty? Not me. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a solid point. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Why don't you have a retro MTB already? Uh, I would honestly like a retro mtb that sounds kind of cool but you know what i feel i feel as if my gravel bike is a retro mtb without the with hydraulic brakes and carbon fiber technology (laughs) it's still rigid machine it's still rigid has and that's where you skinny tires and that's it yeah (laughs) and rigid carbon everything (laughs) i i have a semi-retro mtb depends by like retro do you mean like 70s 80s Ah. i'm not like an early 2000s uh, retro MTB. Yeah, I, it's I, I have uh, a. What do you? What was yours? Well, it's this. Uh, it was a Pro Cycles, which um, I believe is a brand from kind of where I grew up in Ventura, 
uh, where the guy would buy like giants and treks and repaint them as his own bike. Um, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Pretty sure it's never a legitimate brand. Um, and is in my buddy's garage, and I used to always go over there and do wheelies on it. And one day it was his dad's bike, and he goes, "When are you going to take take that thing home?" And I was like, "Oh, now!" So I took it home, and it's kind of been mine ever since. And um, it's got like original White Industries hubs on it, like wow. OG version ones, which is pretty sweet. Uh, a Rasta salsa skewer, Chris King headset, um, and then it's got like a old one by ten drivetrain on it. And it, when I lived in uh, Ventura, I rode that thing almost daily because uh, there's a much more of a kind of happening yeah. nighttime scene than where I live now. I don't think I've ridden it once since I've lived in Newbury Park. So Yeah. I kind of have a retro mountain bike. It's a mid-'90s giant Sedona. Oh. It's pretty cool. You know, I think you've seen it, the one with all yeah. the racks and stuff on it. you have a pizza rack on it. Yeah, I got a pizza rack and a crate on the back. It's got a hamburger bell. It's got some leather grips from Portland Design Works, I think the company's called. PDW. PDW. Uh, I just asked the internet, by the way, and typically the term retro is given to items which are at least 20 years old, wow. but not yet 40 years so old. Because that, yeah, that's vintage, probably after 40. <sighs> yeah, a lot of this is related to antiques and furniture. Mm-hmm. So mine is retro, technically, because it's from the 90s. Mine's more than ab- 20. about to be not retro. More than 40. Depends. Yours will be retro soon. I mean, 2001. It's 20 years ago. There you go. So yeah. what we're all you, retro people. What would you get? A retro, a vintage or retro Yeti or? Mm. Uh, I would love cool. Those a vintage so Yeti. I would like would a really, really high cool. end uh, XC race bike. Yeah, hardtail. That'd be cool. Like, like an XC Eastern race bike Hulk. from the early 90s. They're kind of all XC races. Race yeah, they kind of. Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then make it single speed and put. Uh, I don't know. Like I would at least have to have wider bars on it. Yeah. It's all got to be period bars. correct. You're yeah. not allowed to have wider bars. Oh. Yeah, it's all has some to be of those period correct. Have wide bars because they don't work good. There's your answer, I, guy. I would. I would love a sick. <laughs> well, this is going vintage, but I'd love a like a 1950s Schwinn. Mm. That'd be rad. That'd be I cool. love those old bikes. What, yeah. a, what about a? Um, what are they called? The uh, the ones with the huge Plunker. The ones with the huge front wheel. Uh, penny, penny, penny farther, right? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I've ridden some of those. That'd be cool. Those you should fun. get one of those. And Not very practical. <laughs> you would look great on that. All right, next question. If I have a trail bike, can I just get beefier suspension and call it an all-mountain bike? Uh, well, for starters, what's confusing here is a trail bike and an all-mountain bike to many people would be the same thing. And there are no real clearly defined – there's no one – specific source that says this is the exact travel range of what a trail bike is versus an all mountain bike versus an enduro bike versus an xc bike so it's kind of sort of commonly accepted knowledge of mountain bike industry people i don't know yeah so it's blurred lines there's all sorts of blurred lines i uh so the answer is yes yeah <laughs> in, in this case it's kind of yes if you kinda wanted an yeah. xc bike and make beefier suspension and call it a trail bike yeah. kind of no 
Well, I mean, this kind of goes back to just the concept what we were talking about being earlier of underbiked and overbiked. I mean, you could kind of take any bike from its stock configuration and make some various modifications to make it beefier and closer to the next category of bike up. Yeah. And you could also do that the other direction. Yeah. You can make some modifications to make it closer to the category of bike sort of below it in terms of below yeah. as in less travel and less weight. So you could you can modify your heart out. That's honestly probably part of and what then, makes yeah. mountain biking so fun. Is you know that what else you can take do? any one bike and change it up to your particular use case and desired preferences. You can also call it whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That bike, that's bicycle, up to you. trail bike, mountain bike. Mountain bike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a mountain bike. It's made for going in the mountains. Made for riding in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually did have a, I, I guess this stuff is more confusing to people who are newer in the industry. We made a, a video on YouTube once called the Mountain Bike Buyer's Guide. And I think I did a decent job of breaking down all the various mountain bike categories and their travel ranges. I would check that video out and that article because uh, it's very useful. So if you're still confused on what type of bike is what or you're just newer in the industry and trying to learn, I would definitely just go to YouTube and type in Mountain Bike Buyer's Guide Worldwide Cyclery and bam. Boom. That video has a lot of good information. Bam, Um, boom. We try to classify everything in there really carefully and cautiously and specifically, um, albeit there's a lot of blurred lines in this whole space of mountain biking because you yeah. yep. change things so much, which is yeah, part of what the yep. fun is, but also part of where a lot of the confusion comes in for newer riders into the sport. True that. Mm-hmm. How about the mm-hmm. next question? Mm-hmm. I dream of running my own shop one day. What set yours on the right path from the start? Uh, well... You know, it's funny. I, I did a podcast interview with the NBDA, the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Uh, maybe that was a six months or a year ago. And they asked the question, something about, you know, if there's new people wanting to get into the bicycle industry, what are your thoughts, opinions, advice, or whatever? And frankly, I said, be careful and be cautious because it's a very challenging. It's a lifestyle industry that's not necessarily the most profitable of one, and there's plenty of risk and challenge involved in it. And it's just not easy. Not that really any businesses I would probably call I would probably wouldn't call any business easy, but it's certainly not an easy one to run. So if you want to open up your own shop, I would just say tread cautiously. Um, there's that old saying, which is said in other industries too, but it's how do you make a million dollars in the bike industry? You start out with $2 million. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, there, yeah, I would just, I would just tread cautiously and tread lightly. And, and I think in, in my experience being in the bicycle industry for the better part of my life, I've seen more shops and businesses in the industry go out of business because they're run by passionate bike riders and people who are passionate and love bikes and riding bikes and are not necessarily passionate, knowledgeable, or uh, meticulous business people. And I think you have to have a nice, healthy balance of the two if you want to actually operate a business that is going to work in the industry. So if you really are clear and understanding and know what you're doing and in terms of the game of business – and you also happen to ride bikes, then you'll probably be able to pull it off. Um, if you really don't care much about business and it's not your thing and you don't understand it very well, I uh, would just work for a bike industry company and not try and run your own business because you're not a business person. So, I don't know. That's my advice. Hopefully I wasn't too pessimistic. No. I mean... More cautionary. I think it's realistic. It's it's a tough, uh, tough business to make it in, honestly. I mean, if you yeah. want to be sustainable. 
Yeah, I mean, what are, again, like, what, so what I just said to answer the latter half of that question, what set ours on the right path was the fact that I wasn't just a passionate bike person. I also enjoyed the game of business a lot, and I'm very much a business person uh, on top of being a mountain bike person. So that was a really huge help for us. Uh, also, we just had good fundamentals. Uh, do right by customers. Do right by your internal staff. Uh, make sure you're keeping up with industry trends and knowledgeable of consumer preferences and behaviors and all of that sort of thing and just make sure you're stoking people out and that they're really happy to do business with you um, and that you're also paying attention to your financials simultaneously so you don't just sink the ship um, so that's definitely what's helped worldwide cyclery succeed over the years um, just being a little bit savvier at the game of business than i think most of the people in the bike industry are nailed it yeah yeah i literally couldn't have put it better myself <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, uh, should we proceed to the next question? I think we should. This one's a little more technical. Well, not really technical, more maintenance focused. End it once for all. Is it really that big of a deal clamping a bike to the dropper post in a stand? I think what they are more specifically referring to is clamping the bike to the stanchion of the dropper post. Mm-hmm. Yep. Liam? I mean, I don't want to go on record with this one but <laughs> um but you are but i clamp a lot of bikes to the stanchion of the drop post in the stand um but i'm not like tell us the catch yeah i'm not tweaking on the bike I'm not torquing it all around I'm not spinning it around i'm not you know trying to put too much load on that um when i do that and if i am doing something that requires a lot of load or i'm putting a bike you know, say upside down for a fork service or something, I'd move where I'm clamping it. Yeah. Yeah. Or so essentially the thing is is there's there's two things about a dropper post. You don't want to clamp on the stanchion because you don't want to mar the stanchion. True. So you gotta have a microfiber on there yeah. or really good rubber pads, Which not worn out. All of our stands have both yeah. fresh pads and microfibers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you don't want to mar the stanchion. Um, and then the second thing is you don't want to just like torque around that's that's how do you even say that yeah like yank around yank it's like a weird <laughs> yeah it's like i could see it in my head and i exactly, can show you yeah. but i can't um, speak to you uh you don't want you want you don't want to jostle around. and jostle around yeah, yeah jiggle around that thing because there's bushings in there and there's leverage and you don't you don't want to do that so if you do put it on the stanchion uh like liam said don't do anything where you're really like jiggling the whole bike around like don't don't be trying to pop pedals off and uninstall and reinstall cranks or yeah. like that's not a good thing to yep. do while the bike is clamped to that um and then also just make sure that if you do put it on there because you're going to do something gentle like you're just putting it in the stand real quick to take the front wheel off and then do something to the front wheel and put it back on that's not a big deal uh make sure that you don't mar that stanchion and you've got good rubber pads yep. and good microfiber yeah when I so build new bikes, it's kind of bikes. not a yes or no question. It's just yeah. like a, it's a situational. situational and a and a tread lightly. Um, when we build new bikes out worldwide, we have dummy posts, as we call them, um, just a rigid post or a old dropper with that's been kind of gutted, um, and we clamp it to that to build the bike, and then we take the bike off the stand to put the dropper in. Um, so a lot of our building and jostling or jiggling or however you'd call it, putting on cranks and wheels and torquing stuff, um, is done with the dummy posts. So we're not yeah. putting any stress on that chopper. That's the proper way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But once the bike's built, you can't really do that. So. Yeah, it's kind of hard to do. And if there is, it's getting less and less common now <laughs> because chopper post travels are getting so long that there's not usually enough 
um, post out. Like yeah. What did you call that part? Exposed. Post. Exposed. Like lower post. Yeah, lower post. Um, out to clamp on that. But if there is, I always clamp on that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not the actual stanchion. For but sure. It's pretty rare nowadays on modern mountain bikes to have that much. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, lower too. post out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. Well, Jared, this is the last question. You're supposed to say least but not last. Least, least but not last. <laughs> least but not last. What is the best prank that you all have played on each other that we've never seen or been told? Mm. Well, got a couple of them. I've got one which Jeff actually set a rule in place for early on. Um, Jeff was out of town for a while, which he normally is, but back then he didn't go out of town as much. Um, he had an office, and we built up a cardboard barrier behind the office and filled up the entire barrier to the roof. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. With, that was super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, packing pillows. Um, and Jeff opened, my office. opened up the off, opened up the door to his office and all these packing pillows came out <laughs> and he screamed something and said, I have a call in two minutes. <laughs> and, and then he had to like, he, luckily he had a door in front of his office. So he ran around the front, opened up that door, had his call then came all the way back around and said, clean that shit up. Uh, new, <laughs> new rule in worldwide. If the prank takes more than five minutes to clean up or to have made, it is not allowed in worldwide. So yeah. we're limited Efficient to... Efficient pranks only. Yeah, five, five <laughs> minutes of setup and five minutes of teardown of prankery. If the pranks decrease the work productivity, then they are not acceptable pranks. Yeah, yeah. more than five minutes in either direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I forgot about that rule. That was, a pretty, that was a pretty funny one early on that Jeff actually made a rule for, so I think it's significant. Wow. It is. I thought you were going to uh, tell the story of how you once removed some parts off of Adam's bike because he left it in the wrong place and hid them throughout the shop. Well, don't make me sound like it, you know. Well, because... His bike was completely covered in mud <laughs> and in the, like, in the work area, dripping mud and dried dirt all over the place. Yeah. And that's a no-no in Worldwide. We have a very clean operation here. Yeah. So, yeah, I took off the front and rear wheel and the frame, <laughs> and I drew a treasure map on his desk for him to go find the wheels and frame. That's the one I thought you were talking about. I think about. there was actually an argument over if that was more than five minutes set up or take down, too, on that prank. It was definitely less than five minutes for me to do that. Come on. <laughs> Two wheels off and a treasure map that a two-year-old drew? That's four minutes. I had enough change to go to the bathroom after that. Wow. Hopefully answering emails while you're doing that. I, I still thought one of the funnier ones, because it was probably one of the only times that there was ever almost an actual fight in the dank store amongst the staff, <laughs> was we were, we were well, filming some YouTube video about... Uh, it might have been a turning products or... Uh, yeah, just Park, park, park Polyloop, yeah, which is like probably the most popular grease that we use and everyone in the mountain bike world uses. Uh, I don't know how... The, we were like, oh, we're going to film a skit for this Park Polyloop. So... so uh, a man that shall remain nameless. I, I don't know if this was his idea or not. Uh, he he put a bunch of park polylube on the underside of a door handle and then put a camera recording it. And then people were going and you know opening the door and getting the grease all over their hand. And uh, and Zach, um, he's not remaining nameless. In this story. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Zach opens the door handle, gets park polylube all over his hand. Looks behind him, realizes there's a camera watching him and no one else around, and proceeds to go over to the camera and 
Uh, let's see. How do I say this? Show his genitals. Oh, that was a, that was aggressive, man. I was oh, going to say he was going to take his parts genitals. that the sun don't shine oh, and sorry, um, <laughs> drag them all over the camera, and then and then uh, then later the camera was picked up and brought to the desk, and the, the SD card was pulled out, and like, oh, let's check out the footage, and then it was like, oh, my hands, my keyboard, and then there was a whole ordeal oh, and good. almost a fight, and yeah, that was. Yeah, you know what's almost funnier than that, though? Uh. Is Pat went in that door first, got the poly lube on him, wiped it on his pants, and oh, continued didn't even, didn't to even his care. desk. Yeah, didn't, didn't even care, care at all. Like, nothing in the world happened. Like, just gets <laughs> grease all over his hand, looks at it, within half a second, <laughs> wipes it on his pants, goes on with his life. Weird. Like, oh, there's a bunch of grease on the doorknob. But <laughs> I didn't even think about <laughs> it. No big deal. That's <laughs> a total Pat it's move. a bike yeah. shop, you know? There's grease yeah. everywhere, but... Yeah, there's yeah. grease everywhere. Who cares? Oh man! Yeah, yeah! Wow, couple of good. couple of the best pranks ever pulled. Yeah, luckily it hasn't hasn't gotten too out of control. There's no, there's never been like a, you know, the place never burned down because of no. pranks. Luckily. No, I think one time you hit good. my like I got a new bike and it was delivered and I think you hit it somewhere, and I was like freaking out because it said it was delivered and I was like, wait, oh, I can't yeah. find it where the hell is. You know what? I've I haven't done it here because we don't really have a bike to do it here. But I did it at an old shop once, like a. We, I worked at a normal uh, family shop, sold specialized bikes, and an employee EP'd, I think, like an S-Works Tarmac. Super nice bike. Um, he was not there that day, and it came in. Um, we opened up the bike from the bottom, took the bike out, slid in <laughs> a, like, nine or, like, $400 specialized hard rock um, into the S-Works bike from the bottom, sealed it back up, and acted like we never touched it. And uh, he went and opened up the box, completely flipped out, immediately called Specialized, before, before any of us even knew what was, like, fully happening. And in the middle of the phone call, he's, like, flipping out, and someone overhears him and goes, dude, 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 stop, 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 stop. You, I'll show you where your bike is. Like, apologize to the specialized rep. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Wow. Yeah. The old switcheroo gone wrong. Yep. The old switcheroo. <laughs> Pranks <laughs> oh, almost always go wrong, right? Like, oh, man. It's not safe because they spiral out of control quick. Yeah. Especially when you're messing yeah. with, like, someone's dream bike. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Be careful with those. But same time, for a good prank, you got to hit them where it hurts. Yeah. That's well... Well, uh, well, if anyone's yeah. still listening, we would love to hear any good pranks you've ever pulled. Oh, well, yeah. Most specifically, bicycle-related pranks, because yeah. we like to hear those. Oh, so you have a good one, though. About what? The bearings and the steel oh, tube yeah, or something? man. When I worked at a shop as a kid, we did all sorts of funny stuff like that. Yeah, we would take ball bearings, and we'd put them in people's steer tube and then put electrical tape on the bottom of the steer tube, which is pretty good because... <laughs> sticky <laughs> enough. It's just sticky enough, and it gets less sticky, yeah. right? So you don't notice, and you ride your bike, and if you're just cruising it, you don't hear anything. But the second you start hitting bumps, you hear this like weird like ting-ting because ting, that ball bearing is bouncing around <laughs> in the empty steer tube. And it's really hard to recreate. Um, but people are, I just don't know what the sound is. I don't know. It's just like I, uh, just only certain bumps I hit, and I just hear this like weird sound, and they try to describe the sound, and it's a good, it's a good one to, yeah. to plant people. <laughs> like in the handlebars. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 putting so. bearings in the bars, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's funny. 
Yeah. Oh man, don't get too many ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but with uh, speaking no of ideas, please down. send your best pranks to podcast at worldwidecyclery.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we may play one here and then tell you how it goes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, if you're listening, still, thank you. We love you. We hope you enjoy this podcast. We are going to go on with our Tuesday evening. And see you guys in the next one. Carry out. Love ya.